welcome to Death Holler, the place of haunted hearts and haunted homes. We welcome you to Death Manor, the home that boasts the most ghosts. Come on in. We've been expecting you. Take a look around. You might see someone that you recognize. Do you hear those voices? That's just the Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. They're so happy to see you. Sit back and relax. Make yourself at home. Your new home. And remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you enjoy the show. So, Urena, it's been a little bit. Um, have you gotten to watch any spooky movies here lately? Um, I wouldn't say spooky movies other than the one we're going to review. I mean, clearly, we have watched Stranger Things. And that's pretty much about it. I I haven't done any other, and any other watching. Okay, well, I had a few movies I was going to bring up, and then we can you know get to it. Other than that, but so I kept seeing people recommend the Terrifier. Have you seen this uh, advertised anywhere? Have you seen anybody mention this movie? No, not at all. It's the new evil clown movie that everybody's like gaga over on a lot of like horror forums. They, they claim it's the scariest clown since Pennywise and, you know, uh, yeah, it looks creepy as fuck. It. It, you're talking about the one from 2016. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Art the clown. I, I don't know. It's some fucking creepy ass looking clown though. What's it called? Terrifier. Uh, yeah. Terrifier. The Terrifier. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I haven't even God, heard of that. I hated this movie so much. <laughs> I, I just, I, I could not stand it. I'll tell you the reason why. It, it's okay. So it is a new slasher type movie and it has one really good kill or re- really good, like gory scene in it, uh, which spoil alert for anybody who actually cares to know this, but like literally a woman who is inverted upside down with her legs spread. She's totally naked, gets like sawed in half from her vag to her, you know, down her head through her head yeah which is uh something i don't think i've ever seen before but um i hated it for two reasons first of all it's like i mean i would i can forgive it for being cheap you know looking it was filmed on a shoestring budget that's fine but they used the same friggin location for kill after kill after kill and never changed up anything it's like this garage that's like that's underneath like this uh, apartment building maybe two people get killed outside of this whole scene and like a, in a daily before that. And then every other kill happens in that garage. And it's just like, you know, just a bunch of, or uh, like a parking garage. And it's like, uh, just seeing like the same, the same character or like different characters just getting stalked through this garage, like multiple times just gets old. Like at least with a, you know, all the older movies, like they would change the cabins a little bit. If it was set in a camp or, you know, Freddie would like have different dr- hellscapes he would have in the dreams that would like, you know, change up where they're getting killed at. I just got tired of that. But the thing that really got me and really aggravated me about the movie, and some people might applaud it for this, but to me, I'm a stickler, is that there are certain horror conventions that, that, that especially if you're in the slasher genre, that I feel like you should kind of stick to. And they had a and and the and there's a scene where there's this uh, pretty goth girl who you think is going to be the final girl, and I can forgive them for the fact that they do the bait and switch with her as the final girl. She gets killed partway through, and then her sister replaces her as the final girl toward the end of the movie, and which I think is kind of a waste. I mean, they they're an ancillary character that didn't need to be there, but you know that's that is what it is. 
But when the when the emo or when you know, the goth girl is like trying to stand up and she's got her final moment where it looks like she's going to take out you know Art the clown, he pulls out a fucking pistol and shoots her uh, until she dies. Oh yeah, and I'm just like that is that's the lamest fucking way for a slasher to kill a person. I mean, it's effective. Don't get me wrong, but I, I was like, God damn it. That's like the lamest way to kill somebody. See, you know what? I, that's my, I'd love that scenario. You know why I like that scenario so much? Cause it breaks the traditions. Yes. And it pisses people off. I love when something just takes a hard left that no one was ready for. I like when everybody everybody's kind of already written the ending, and all of a sudden it backfires in their face. And Something I get it. About I that. get why you know some people might appreciate it for being like the you know the obvious like bait and switch you know change. But I just I mean, for a character that literally just sawed a woman in half from her vag down to her face, I was like, just to pull out a pistol, I was like, that's pretty pretty lame to me. But you know, hey, some people you know, uh, no included might might appreciate that. Um, what, what do they say? Whether it be an inch or a mile, a win's a win. <laughs> oh, my God. And they did do the cheesy thing at the end of it where for no reason whatsoever he comes back from the dead after he's been shot in the head like some mysterious evil force brings him back on the, the, the gurney in the morgue, and I thought that was cheesy too, but at, by that point I was already checked out and didn't care anymore. Um, um, was the budget pretty low on this? It's, it's pretty low, yeah. Okay, because I see, I see the death scene, and I'm like, I mean – it, it definitely could be cool. Uh, doesn't look. I don't know. I've never seen a woman sawed in half, so I guess I can't. You, you know You know what's a good clown horror movie? I don't know if you've seen it. Killer it's, Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, my God. I love that film. It's pretty good. but uh, <laughs> That is a really good one. That's one of my favorites. But uh, Stitch as a Clown. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, you would like that. That's a good low-budget horror clown movie. It's a little there, cheesy there and another, stuff like that, but it's pretty good. Now there is a clown movie that I well pseudo clown movie that I saw that actually I that I felt was really well done. Have you ever heard of a uh, Hell House LLC? Mm-mm. Sounds familiar. It's the gist of it is it's a found footage movie where it's you know somebody's recording everything that's going on, so it's got the Blair Witch thing about it. But it's like these guys that goes around guys and one girl, and they go around to these different places and set up like these impromptu haunted houses for like you know Halloween season where they put the props up and all that, um, and they're and they're getting ready to run one through. And it's told in almost like a patched together documentary style using footage that the guys filmed and also like what happened after from like people's cell phones and that sort of thing, which is really well done. But the gist of it is, is that they picked this haunted, this place that was like an old, uh, mo- uh, old motel or an old inn, like in, you know, like some like Midwestern town. And, um, and it's actually supposed to be haunted for real and like while they're there and they're getting set up they start experiencing like supernatural stuff and and there is some really well done scenes in the movie in particular they they have this dummy set up in the basement which is just this like you know fat clown looking figure it's got like a mask you know that has no eyes obviously because there's nobody inside the clown suit but there's a scene where a guy's walking through it as like a trial run and he happens to see what he think is that he thinks is the actor in the clown suit and he tells the guy that and just the way that they film the scene, like he gets back after this creepy clown looks at him and he gets back and the guy reveals, obviously, that he's been with the rest of the group the entire time. He was not inside the trial run. And so that, you know, it's just the way they set it up and the way they do it, it it's really spooky. And I feel like they did a good job with that found footage genre. And, and as far as like giving you the scares of that, you know, putting you in that frame of mind that you're in there. 
Um, yeah, I, I I don't I think I might have seen that. I don't know. I'm trying to remember. It's it's pretty good. The ending is you know so so, but I mean I feel like it's not the worst ending ever for those type of movies. It's not. It kind of pulls like a little bit of the Blair Witch where it does like it shows you something and then it cuts away. But it kind of has to because I mean if it's found footage, then it doesn't make sense for you to see the full resolution anyways. Because after the person who's holding the camera dies, you know there's no way to film it, so you can't really see what happens. Hmm. Um, and that, that can be more effective anyways in the long run because, you know, your imagination is way more, uh, can bring up way scarier things than what they could show on, you know, especially like a low-budget film anyways, which it was. Um, I did watch Stephen King's The Stand, like the uh, new one that they came out with on Paramount+. Plus. Uh-oh. God, is that so bad. <laughs> so I saw bad. your face. I hate um, watching remakes. Because they, 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 they try to put their own current standard spins on stuff and i hate that that's dude. that's the problem it, it's very woke and, yeah, and all the wrong that. ways yeah there's t- and the funny thing is it has two of the worst people in in hollywood right now amber turd yeah. is in it as a villain um and so is uh ezra miller <gasps> as one of the villains oh he is going <laughs> through some shit right now dude, yeah what is I can't believe that they're keeping him in uh, what it, the Flash. Meth These... is hell of a drug. Dude. There is some people theorizing that the Flash is going to go straight to and be buried on HBO uh, Max, and which is unfortunate because Michael Keaton, I think, was really putting a lot of effort into this. You know, his return to Batman. Fuck, so. dude. Um, here's the deal, though. People are probably going to watch it. Oh, Michael they, they, Ma- Michael Keaton's going to be in it. Yeah, yeah, he's reprising his role as Batman from 1989 movie. Oh, I'll watch it just for that. Yeah, I mean, most people will, but that's the problem. I, I think everything else around it is soured because of Ezra Miller and his how ridiculous he is. Yeah. I Something, mean, we've um, talked about it in the past about how... Anytime you're going for little boys, I automatically don't want... Like, it gets hard to watch your content. Little boys? Little girls? Oh, whatever it is, he was creepy as fuck. <laughs> I mean, he's supposed to be trans... I don't know what he likes. I don't know if he's a guy that dresses as a girl that likes women or what the situation is. But, yeah, it's it's little girls. But what's that? I forget what the name of the girl is. Uh, she's from an Indian reservation and straight yeah, up like. And they've had real trouble trying to uh, actually pin anything on him because where they're, you know, their legal system is outside of ours. They can't really they have to get like the approval of the, the council tribal council before they can move on him and like they've never been able to get that because of the regulations um i forget what her name is uh dakota iron eyes um apparently he's been grooming her i guess since she was like 12 or something and and she's got uh stockholm syndrome because she put out a video saying that there's nothing going on between her and ezra and all that stuff and everybody says it's that total bullshit. That, that video he, is know. so sketch. Like just her kind of looking to the side and not. Yeah. Oh my! Like it's a. I don't know. Recited. It doesn't come off genuine at all. But then again, people are going to speculate no matter what. I'm on on the other end. I'm like, she's 18 years old, and this fucking movie star is like after her. That is appealing to a lot of fucking women. It is. Well, not even that, but if she's 18 now. What are you really going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's that's the problem. I mean, even though the stuff started when she was 15. Yeah. I mean, you know, younger, unless, she, I think. unless she wises up and agrees to move on him, there's nothing that can be done about it. Now. I think there's a, okay, so <laughs> to, 
to kind of bring up sensitive topics, how women are not possessions, but apparently women are on Indian reservations. I believe on this Indian reservation she is from, you are your father's property until you're 21. I could be 100% wrong about that. Um, I, I, I read that somewhere. And so technically she is not a legal adult. She is still a minor based off of the reservation where they have their own, what, federal fucking laws there? Savages. Yeah, they... Yeah, they're completely outside the legal system. They that's they have to have, they they have to have the uh, permission uh, from the tribal council to even come in there and investigate this. Oh uh, yeah, that's part of. The- well, they're I'm sure they're going to try to take care of it themselves. But yeah, I found that to be interesting. So yeah, while she is, eighteen and legally, yes, yeah, she, she if this is what she chooses, it's what she chooses. I hope everything's okay, but. He's got like some kind of family on a fucking farm too that he's holding hostage or something. I don't know. We we, we just really had a weird. dude come on our Friday show in uh like two weeks ago, and he he was an Indian guy that grew up on a reservation and he had some wild stories. Like they're still hardcore trenched in the culture and the beliefs of in of the traditional Indian stuff, mm-hmm. like skinwalkers. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, yeah. It's it's still hardcore, like rampant. So is the alcoholism. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah. Too, Apparently that's a saying. big thing. Yeah, he was talking about it, man. He said it's it's rough. But anyways, okay. Get, getting back to the stand, the one thing that I feel I'm, I'm I don't know how to feel about it. I, I see the benefits and I see and I see the a whole lot of the negatives to it is that anybody who's ever read or watched the stand knows there's the character Tom Cullen who's kind of like I mean, he he's the he's the big childlike giant or whatever, you know. I, it's it's not PC to say this, but Stephen King has magical retards in like all this in oh, all yeah. his stories. That's that's what he's got. Hey, Disney's I mean, got retarded he, chickens or birds. I mean, <laughs> um, there's the character in a Dreamcatcher, Duddits, who's one oh, of them. Yeah. He's got the shine, you know. There is the character of John Coffee in the Green Mile, who is technically childlike in his mentality, um, and he has magical abilities too, or the shine. So it's there's a lot of that. And Tom Cullen is one of those characters in the story, but the main, but the guy who directed this new one didn't want to make him like the childlike, uh, you know, version that Stephen King always put in his novels. He wanted to to be more realistic with it, which is kind of what I respect a little bit from it. But I don't know if it came off the right way. So, so they, they made like him a regular big, retard. What, what they did was they made <laughs> they made him somebody who's on the spectrum. So here's what they did: they got a guy who was a big football player, ex football player. Uh, to come in there, and he he looks goofy enough to be considered somebody. You uh, whether whether they've got him dressed up and stuff, it's like okay, he's a big, large adult man who not very bright, you know. But he has this thing that he says to everybody, where it's like, "Hello, my no- my name's Tom Cullen. I'm 43 years old. I'm mentally handicapped, or you know, handicapped, or whatever he says. You know, I, I need assistance. I you know, blah blah." And he says this all the time to people because that's you know how this woman who was like his uh, adult. Uh, supervisor like directed him to always address people that he doesn't know and I don't know there's like part of it that I'm like okay that is more realistic because the guy argued that he's like you know people who are adult you know uh, you know members of society that have like down syndrome or whatever or autism or whatever they still are adults even if they if their mind's not like at the level everybody else is and that's why he came about the character but I don't know if it works the way he wanted it to it's just it's weird did there's, he there's simple jacket it just a simple jacket. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> um. 
So I don't know. Like it, it's just kind of weird. Uh, the best part of the movie to me is that Kate McNamara, who uh, was on Arrow of all things, uh, later on is like one of uh, like uh, Stephen Amell's daughter on that show. Oh yeah, is super hot in this. She plays a terrible character. Like I mean, but like she's super hot in it, the way they got her, and so I give them credit for that at least. Um, she actually looks like a younger Amber Heard, which is really weird that Amber Heard's in her in the same show with her. But yeah, whatever. she does. Uh, a younger, prettier, less crazier. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, it's I don't recommend it. I mean, it's I was I, I stayed all the way through it, but I didn't like all the characters they had to swap out too. Which is I I, I get you know it's the thing nowadays. But like one of the character, I mean, you know, if it was a white male character in the old story, they barely kept to that. They usually gender or race swapped. I mean, you know, because black woman you know, inclusion. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't necessarily think that that was needed. Cause I was sitting there. I was like, wait, what character is this? Cause there's a character at the end of the story that they barely even bring up through the whole thing. Um, who does the final stand with the, the, the other guys or whatever. There's four of them that goes toward the end of the story to, to confront flag. And, uh, Ralph Brenner is like this Midwestern like farmer. Who's a good old boy in the original story. And one of my favorite characters, cause he, reminded me a lot of like people around here uh even though he was like from kansas or something like that and then they changed him to like a, a native american woman who's from the reservation or something and i just like and, she and they, an they don't even have her in the show like i don't know why you know <laughs> did they at least it make her just, drunk uh, to kind of follow consistency <laughs> no they didn't they they, they have negative stereotypes there's nobody they have a her, sense of humor they gave her crippling depression <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if we're gonna follow cultures, let's be honest. Um, yeah, it's really weird. I, I don't know why they did that. And then they there was like the judge that was in the original and who's played by Ossie Davis, and he was so great in that role. I mean, Ossie Davis was great in everything. Uh, uh, Bubba Hotep, I mean, in particular when he plays JFK, I love that character. But uh, he played like the judge that was sent as like one of the uh, spies in the original in the miniseries, and this one they replaced him with just some old white woman, and I'm just like. I mean, why? Like, I mean, you already had like a, a black actor in the original. You could have just went, you know, that route. I mean, but no, they they went with an old white woman. I was like, and and barely used her too. So, um, the uh, the ratings on this, so on the tomato meter, it got fifty six percent, which is pretty low for a tomato meter. But the audience score was a whopping twenty four percent. Hell yeah, I like that. Yeah, it, it deserves it. It really does. It's the the worst part about it is not even all that stuff that I mentioned. It's the fact that neither Randall Flagg or none of the people that's under him are in any way you do you feel that they're a threat in this show because they make the character uh, Lloyd Henry, who was is like second command, who's played by Miguel Ferreira in the, like the original one, who's got like a, I mean, he's really like he's got that intimidation factor the way the guy portrayed the character. They the new guy they got in this one it plays him like he's like an internet gangster or something like that, like total caricature of like a wannabe rapper, and is not a character that you, I mean, you look at and you're like, dude, I don't, I, you don't scare me one damn bit. Like there's nothing. And you- of course, the trash can. You know, go ahead. Do you ever think Stephen King watches these remakes of his awesome movies and is just like, what the fuck? He approved this. He uh, he said, and did he approve it or remember, did he did he get paid to approve it? Well, he he got well. It was both, but you got to remember, Stephen King is super woke and super crazy. But, oh, yeah. but it, is he super woke or is or is he just 
pandering so he can still generate money. I think he's super woke because he is the biggest anti-Trumper that I've ever seen in my life. Like he's still screaming about Trump. Why? Like that's that's past. That's gone. Why? Why are you still harping on that? <laughs> we don't know. You got me, but I'm just telling you that's how he is. He's he every time he gets on Twitter, if there's anything bad that's coming out of the government, he can't blame a Democrat. He has to get on there and blame Trump for whatever bad is happening. You know, like the current like inflation. You know, he's got to bring up which I mean, there's I, I, some I don't know. Arguments there, but. I don't know if you follow definite L's on Twitter. But he, he's been roasting Stephen King. Like, Stephen King will say something and then turn around and say something that kind of discredits what he said a, a year or two prior. Like oh, it's, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so yeah. Dif- yeah, yeah. Definitive L's is just posting nonstop. This is Stephen King a year ago or two years ago, and this is what he's saying now. And it's like, dude, you're, you're asking for the same thing you were rallying against now. Uh, drugs yeah, he, are bad, he's kids. He's done that for a long time. Yeah. Stephen King's brain's probably fucking fried. <laughs> That is true. We're talking in, about a guy who snorted more cocaine than, you know, Scarface. So, you know I mean, what my favorite thing that I'm, I remember from the Chappelle show is uh, when uh, Paul Mooney used to kind of interpret things, and they, they, they were talking to Stephen <laughs> King, and Stephen King asked the questions, when black people die, do they want to see a black undertaker? And Paul Mooney's like, come on now, you know what he wanted to say. And it, I'm not going to repeat it, but I don't know if, you, if you've seen an episode of uh, the Chappelle show. I've I've seen plenty with the Paul Mooney. I liked how direct he was. Oh yeah, dude. Stuff. I mean, Paul Mooney was brutal. <laughs> Good God. I think we hear that I hear somebody at the door. So uh, hit the music. Guess I'll let them in. Holler. I'm your host and avid collector of haunted VHS tapes, the Reverend <laughs> Dr. Death. And joining me as always is the drowned ghost who refuses to stay in the damn well, La Urena. <laughs> How are things going in your student art film, Urena? I like the water. That's where the spirits dwell. That's where I get all my energy. That's how you killed your kids, right? Well, I was in this well looking for Samara because uh, that is one angry fucking little ghost. I can imagine yeah. the amount of energy I would get off of that one. Yeah, she's a, she's a special one. We'll get into how special and how weird here in a little bit. And we got Noah here today. How are you doing, Noah? Pretty good. You know what I was thinking would Uh-oh. be awesome to do? Uh, is us to write like a horror thing and act it out on over the mics. Have you seen oh, my like acting a, skills? A radio drama type thing? Yeah, and like do the sound effects. I was just thinking about it right now. How awesome would that be? I'm pretty sure all three of us could write a horror story and then act it out and do all the background audio and sound effects. I could help write a horror story. I don't think I could act it out. I think you could. (laughs) And even if you don't, if you listen to yourself, it's going to make you want to try harder the next time around. Oh, God. I can't even stand my fucking disclaimer. I'm like, that's my voice. I I I tried to make it sound perky, and I'm like, I think we could do it. I think it'd be a a fun thing to do. Definitely worth trying. it It would be pretty fun. Um. 
So cursed art or entertainment that kills is an interesting niche in the horror genre, uh, inspired by urban legends and popularized within stories by the likes of Lovecraft and Chambers. The notion that a work of art can uh, result in madness or even death of its audience is truly horrifying. Um, the film we are discussing today took that concept and applied it to the realm of cursed film, spawning an entire franchise. And God, is it a franchise? Um, it is also responsible for opening the door to an entire subgenre of its own, the pale-skinned, dark-haired Onryo of films such as Dark Water, One Miss Call, and the previously discussed Juon series. Um, yes, we will be discussing the, uh, the infamous J-horror classic, The Ring or Ringu, so pop in that Black Spine VHS, turn down the lights, and try not to scream when y- La Urena crawls out of the TV at you. <laughs> And, of course, as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you would take the time to like, comment, subscribe on whatever podcast platform platform you prefer. Just say and, platform. Uh, that's that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah, uh, platforms, yeah. Um, it helps us get more visibility on podcast listings and helps us grow, and we appreciate everybody, especially, uh, what is it? Is it Denmark? Denmark. Is yeah. Gotta got love those uh, people in Denmark. I don't know uh, how it's, they understand either one of us, but, hey, I appreciate it. Denmark and Norway and all those countries are going wild right now, dude. <laughs> You've been watching all that crazy stuff going on? We don't. We, oh, we're God. not worried about there. We are just thankful that we are on their Apple charts. Uh, and as a matter of fact, hold Keep on. Keep doing what you guys are doing. Yeah, woo! <laughs> oh my God, hold on, hold on. I'm looking for us right now just to kind of get, let me see, Death Holler. Maybe I need to. Yeah, but the whole idea of writing, I think we could write something down that's scary and fine tune it and then figure out how to do like a radio drama, like an old school horror. Radio. I think it'd be awesome to do that. We could actually probably do that and then do stills for each shot. Like steel animation for each for each frame. That's all you. I am we never, not... ended, we I... never ended up doing it, but um, I mentioned like during the comedy, uh, the April Fool section of this season, uh, haunted honeymoon, haunted honeymoon, which didn't actually end up being a, a ghost film. So that's the reason I rejected it overall. But I like the concept of that one. It was like Gene Wilder and um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Ratner, I believe, was the one that was like his uh, wife and her fiance in that. But Gilda Ratner, uh, they basically were filming or doing a radio drama. And then the movie that you see is basically, I mean, it makes it look like, you know, they, they take a vacation for their haunted honeymoon, as it were. But it all ends up being like part of the radio drama at the end of the movie. So it's kind of got that wraparound to it, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah, I I could do the sketches and all the animation or whatever for the still for the stills. I could I could draw those out. I think it'd be cool to do it. Try to come up with a good horror story, then build the structure around it. Yeah, it would be pretty. It would be cool. My I, wife's I, looking I at me like that. that's lame. He can see <laughs> me looking at you right now. It just seems like a lot of work that I'm willing to put in in the writing process. The acting, I don't know. <laughs> you, we have to. We can go full woke and make you the hero. Hero. Here. <laughs> make you the hero. Oh, my God. Let's get back to the task at hand. <laughs> Thank you, Denmark. Uh, we're still in the uh, we're still in the top 200s. <laughs> well, I think it's uh, I think it's time to get attacked by some bees. Oh, let's get attacked by some bees. <laughs> what, what is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees. Not the bees. Oh. 
<laughs> my eyes. I'm I'm cheating on this attack of the bees in both ways. It's the it's thematically it's a cheat in a way, but it's also a cheat that it's a bee film. But it is a cult classic, so I, I'm going to stretch the rules for this. The movie that I'm discussing today is Videodrome. Hell yeah. That's a hell of uh, a good movie. Yes, it is. Directed by David Cronenberg, written by David Cronenberg. We have principal players in this is James Woods playing Max Wren. Um, of course, James Woods is probably known to most people, you know, these days for the voice of Hades on Hercules. And he, I didn't even realize this. He, he did the voice even on the cartoon series. Like it wasn't just oh, the really? movies. And, and he did the voice in the Kingdom Hearts video game series. Yeah. Oh, shit. So and our him. son is deep into that right now. Yeah. Kingdom Hearts is awesome, dude. I remember playing that when they came out. Oh, shit. Blondie was up in this piece. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get into that. All right. Uh, I, I like her character in this one. Uh, Scary Movie 2, uh, James Woods has that great exorcist <laughs> intro where he's blessing the house as we discussed. The or whatever. sexorcist. <laughs> oh, God, that's so good. Um, he was in The Virgin Suicides, which I have yet to see, but everybody raves about that movie and says that's, it's pretty good. That's a good movie. It and, is. Uh, it's weird. Uh, one of my favorites is John Carpenter's Vampires. Oh, I love yeah. the character oh, he dude. plays in that. You don't think vampires are some faggots running around in European <laughs> European underwear? <laughs> I, I, I love where he's sitting there, and after he, like, kills one of them, he tells, like, the preacher, like, literally, the, the young preacher who's, like, taking over. He's like, I, he's got, I, he's, he says, I've got full chub right now or something, and the preacher's <laughs> like, you know, that's before they have really bonded, and he gives him a look like, are, are you seriously talking to me like this right now, you know? <laughs> yeah, that part where they're um, in there and he's explaining the vampires to him. He's let me explain these. These aren't a bunch of packets running around in in European <laughs> underwear. <laughs> James Wood. I don't think you could. Years. I don't think you could remake the movie Vampires. You could not the way it was remake. made. Yeah, because it was, he was over the top aggressive in that movie. Oh yeah, it, he's. He's a ultra conservative in Hollywood, which is really weird. I mean, like it you don't see that that often. Uh, well, I mean, it's, he's like it's conservative by Hollywood standards, but by the American people standards, it's probably not nearly as conservative as you think. Oh yeah. I mean, he's probably socially liberal. I mean, when you oh, yeah. look on the scale, but I mean he's he's way which everybody's far right now, but that's a whole other argument. But um so the next person we have in the movie is uh, Soja Smith, who plays Bianca Oblivion, who is the daughter of a video guru and, uh, and long live the new flesh, as, as she likes to say in this Bianca movie. Oblivion. It sounds like a porn star's name. <laughs> it's a it's a tie into the fact that her father in the movie, which I'll get to uh, at one point, which was played by Jack Creeley, who plays Bob Oblivion. That's like his like pseudonym, like the name he uses, because he's kind of like a video cult leader. That he's got he's like a he's like a, a fire and brimstone type preacher, but it's more about like the dangers of like you know uh, uh, like violent TV and how it's going like you know it's destroying the country and all that and, and you know of course he's got it's a pseudonym because he a he doesn't want to get like you know people uh, coming after him and figuring out where he's really at but also oblivion meaning that he thinks it's the end of society you know yeah uh, was this was this movie really classified as a B movie back in the day I don't think it was classified as a B movie that's why I said I was stretching it but it okay. is a very little known movie like I mean. 
there's a lot of people you mentioned Videodrome outside of the horror nerd circle and they're like what 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 are you talking about you know oh, this even was, to this, this day, was always one of my favorite movies <laughs> there were so many good uh, movies like that were kind of like hit this kind of genre back in the 80s they did a good job of early 90s of nailing the whole the whole like uh culture back then Oh yeah, and that, and we'll get into that why this one is why it ties in thematically, but also why it's such a great film because of what it's kind of discussed. Um, but uh, Soja was also in American Gods, which was recently on. Um, if it's not still on there, I think it was on Showtime, I believe, um, based on the Neil Gaiman series. And then she was in the classic, and by classic I mean absolutely awful. But it's one of those movies you have to see, you know, because it's so bad. The Pit, which is from 1981, which is literally about a little boy who finds a pit with these like troll-like creatures in it, and he starts throwing people down in there that he doesn't like. I think I remember that. <laughs> that seems so fucking familiar. Um, it is. It, it it's almost like Troll Two, and how good it is for being a bad movie. Ugh. So. Uh, we have Debbie Harry in this, who plays Nikki Brand, who's a DJ and a very sadomasochistic hottie. I mean, like, total smoke show in this, but she's into everything, and especially torture porn. Like, she, if, if, you can, if you can burn her, stab her, she, she gets off on it in this movie. <laughs> um, of course, she was known by the name of Blondie, you know, as the, the you know, that was her group that she was in. Which has got a resurgence recently. Speaking of, you know, we mentioned Stranger Things and Kate Bush coming back in that episode, but like the boys with uh, Jensen Ackles has really brought back Blondie's uh, whole thing. Dude, the, in recent the, the years. newer season of Boys was the boys was hella good, man. I don't know if you watched that. I've not seen the final episode. I need to watch that. I still have yet to finish it. But yeah, I was I was impressed by all of it. But it's just hilarious seeing uh, Jensen Ackles do like a spoken word version of, of you know, the rappers to lie, yeah. whatever it is that he does. Oh, so good. I'll give him that. Um, I, cause obviously clearly not impressed by him very often. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like him. Yeah. You don't like Jensen. You don't like supernatural. Just admit it. We, it's, I it's know. Fine, you know, I'm not a real supernatural fan. Apparently I have come to terms, <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know. I like the shows. I just don't like Jensen Ackles as a person. I don't think he's a good person. I really, truly do and not think he is. Are you seriously saying this right now, or is this still the joke that we're talking about? No, I'm really saying this. Yeah, if you watch the new season of Boys, you're really going to think that because he's a horrible. No, 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 no. I, I know that. what he's supposed to play, and that it's supposed to be different than what he used to be. Oh, in. it's way different. I feel like maybe it comes naturally to him. I thought he did a good job playing the character. <laughs> yeah, and to see, I think I said this in the Scooby Gang. He's like, I have yet to see what the husband has to think about it because I know, like, Supernatural, he'll roll his eyes three I times over. But what does he think <laughs> of this actor coming into the role? Which, speaking of, of I got to change the subject real quick, but we're still talking about the boys because you guys have seen it. I've seen it. Well, excuse me. This is in, in season one. Have you guys heard of the Netflix show, um, this is going to be a side rant. It's called Cherry something. That's yeah, um, horrible. Okay. Brand new cherry flavor? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. That's actually hella good. Okay. That is really good. It's yeah. also really fucking weird. Yes. yes. And you guys have heard about the sex scene. And yeah. everyone's freaking out about it. Have uh, they yeah. not well, seen season one of The Boys? Where the girl um, fucking fingers his fin. 
Well, okay. So well, that actually ties into Videodrome, surprisingly enough, because Max Wren gets a stomach vagina, which I'll yes. bring up yeah. here shortly. So, uh, you know, that that's across the board. That's a good tie, and that go, ties in three different things. There we go. <laughs> yeah, she fingers his fin, not his fin, but his gills, but yeah. he didn't like that. No, he didn't like it. Yeah, she totally raped him. It was pretty funny. I want to say raped no, him. She uh, shut her hand in his gill. <laughs> no, but th- that girl really likes her... Uh, her pussy hole getting, yeah. <laughs> and, which is what it is. Cause she's like spitting cats out of it, which is, you know, that's a, it, it's a weird joke folks. Yeah. But if, if you can go back and you can watch channel zero, which is what the original people did or the, the people who made brand new cherry flavor did prior to that. Some of the best like horror anthology type shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Like, um, I, two of the seasons uh, are especially like excellent. Like I, I can't recommend them enough. Yeah, the brand new um, cherry flavor, that movie or show, whatever it was, like miniseries was hella good. Um, so Debbie Harry was actually in more stuff than I anticipated her being in. She was actually in Hairspray. Uh, she was in one episode of Pete and Pete, Adventures of Pete and Pete, which doesn't oh, surprise me because they, they they had Iggy Pop on there as like a character. So yeah. it doesn't really surprise me that they didn't that they got Debbie Harry for that. Uh, she was in John Carpenter's Body Bags, which Ooh. is an anthology film. That's hella good, too. And uh, she was in Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, which, uh, yeah. throw back to a previous episode. Um, yeah. Um, well, no, it wasn't Tales from the Dark Side. That was Twilight Zone that um, that Dan Aykroyd was in. But Tales oh, yeah. from the Dark Side, the movie, is, is pretty good. I yeah, mean, she played that, that crazy lady that was during the narration <laughs> area. Yeah, she was the one that was the witch that was, like, yeah. keeping the kid in the cell, right? Yep. Okay. Um, she is so hot in this movie, though. <laughs> Seriously. Um, Peter Dvorsky plays Harlan, a TV technician, and the weasel in the film. He's kind of the one that's working for the corporate higher-ups or whatever. Um, he was in a movie that I've never heard of called Casual Sex. That's got a quotation mark at the end of it, which starred Leah Thompson and Victoria Jackson. This was like 1988. I've never Woo! heard of this movie. Uh, and he was in the Dead Zone, which is a Stephen King property, so that's pretty cool. Um, and I've already mentioned Jack Creeley, and then we finish out the cast or the, the main cast. We've got Leslie Carlson, who plays Barry Convex, who is actually the big corporate bad guy in the film. He um, looks like the big corporate bad guy in life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he's the classic, like you know, just corporate goon or whatever. That's what he looks like. <laughs> Um, synopsis for this film is uh, the head of a small TV channel which specializes in extreme content is in search of the next big thing while searching for violent and or sexual programming to shock his viewers uh, Max Wren is introduced to a pirate video feed of a program called Videodrome uh, you know a little bit later you might find it's not so pirate but anyways uh, sadomasochistic sex torture porn stomach vaginas meaty gun fist and hallucinations ensue <laughs> vaginas isn't that just a c-section um so the gist of this movie is that like i think the in the artistic message that cronenberg's trying to get across is that this guy is so numb max ran is so numb to like just you know violence and like sexual content that he keeps seeking higher and higher levels of it to his own like destruction and and like the the stomach vagina he literally in turn takes a gun at one point that he's scratching the rash that turns into the stomach vagina and the gun gets sucked up into his body <laughs> at which point later when they turn him into an assassin using the the images from the tv screen to make him an assassin 
he the gun attaches to permanently to his hand and like this big meaty like puppet looking like fist futuristic or type and of it's gun. Almost, <laughs> and it's almost like it's it's Cronenberg saying that he's internalized the violence that he's you know like spent all of his life watching and at that point that you know he it's it's become part of him it's kind of like the but it just it's it's got that Cronenberg like weird body stuff going on throughout the whole film like you know um really good concept though i mean it and basically how this ties into what we're going to discuss for the ring is that video drone when you watch it starts a tumor in your brain like right behind the 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 eyes that causes you to hallucinate and some person in the movie has a good point that if what you see is reality and if you start hallucinating and you start experiencing you know things that seem unnatural then by the properties of the fact that you're experiencing them and seeing them, they become real. So it's like the tumor is making all this weird shit manifest in real life because that's Max Wren's life now. That tumor is is making him like the stomach vagina, him having sex with a TV screen at one <laughs> point, like all of it, you know. Um, and it ties into Ringu because we'll get into it. That's technically how uh, Samara slash uh, well, I'm trying to remember her name now. We'll Sadoko it or uh, um, it's, it's something different. I, I've got it in the notes, but anyways, like the, in the, in the Japanese version, that's how she actually kills people is that she induces a tumor in their throat when they watch the video and that's what they die of. And it's not from seeing her in person, um, which is not got across, especially in the American version at all. So, um, so it is, it is very thematically tied to, you know, the ring in, in that way, just because of the, you see something and the tumor begins and it starts causing you to have problems. Um, Sadako, uh, that's the name of the, the one in, in the Japanese. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. Sadako. And then, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the one. This movie giving it a Nick Cage rating is obviously going to be close to eight millimeter. Cause it's a very similar theme. You got two protagonists who risk their life for pursuing these forbidden films, these things that people, multiple people throughout the film tell them it's like back off of this. It's going to destroy you. Stop searching for this. And, um, and they both have messages about society and human nature built into the actual artistic thread of the story, you know, like what, what that says, like, especially in the eighties, it was basically Cronenberg, like, you know, he, he was, I don't, I think he was making a comment about the critics too, that were saying that things were becoming too violent on TV. Cause I mean, you had films like Robocop that were just like gory death after gory death, uh, you know, which they're great. Some of the best death scenes in movies, especially when the one guy explodes toward the end of the movie, but that's the whole tangent. Um, but the eighties was really a big change for a lot of that stuff. Like on film, like it really ramped up. You had death wish, which was like the late seventies, early eighties. I mean, you, you, it didn't show a whole lot, but you literally had Charles Bronson killing everybody and their mother in those movies. So, um, really spoke to the time period. Um, you have any other thing to say about it? Noah, as far as like your views on video Durham? I, I thought the movie itself, <sighs> I wish I, I wish I would have known you were gonna be talking about. It. I would have thought about it some more, but the just movie, what you remember from it, not just what I remember. I, I remember it, they did a good job of really hitting on it. It's almost it was almost a precursor to where we're at now with with the way entertainment is to a degree. Like they did a good job. He did a good job for seeing down the pipeline what everything was going to kind of turn into. 
I mean, we yeah, kind of like how everything's hyper polarized just to get clicks and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah I agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah, it it, it was. A, I remember watching that when I was a kid. I didn't quite understand it to the degree. And I remember watching it multiple times when I got older, and I was like, holy shit, this guy did a really good job of calling how how slimy a lot of these guys are just going after the whole thing of clicks. That's kind of does not seem like a movie kids should be watching. <laughs> yeah, I watched a not. lot of bad movies growing <laughs> up, man. He's like, when I was a young young mo- a man. Yeah, it's just we, we didn't really have anything we couldn't watch. A- anything we can get a hold of, we were allowed to watch it. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, I just say the go ahead. Go ahead. I, no, I'm just thinking about the movie and there are so many really, really good parts. Like the whole thing of your reality is what you manifest. That's like that was like the big part of the movie was yeah, a huge part of it. Yeah, I, I, that was such a big, big chunction. And you know what? The thing that got me, too, is the people that were indoctrinating them weren't actually watching it at all. They, they, they didn't understand it, so they didn't have the ability to do it. Like they were, they knew to stay away from watching the material. Yeah, basically in the movie, the gist of it is what he what, what video is is snuff films. Uh, that's how it ties in the eight millimeter. Also, I mean, it's literally you're watching these people get like tortured until they die. You know, like literally in front of you, and then that's uh, you know, there's it works in the whole like there's a weird sexual angle to it too. I mean, the way that they you know they the women are you know obviously stripped nude before they're killed that way, and you know it it it, it goes in all that stuff. Um. It's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a, there's a lot of commentary there that's, that's so ingrained in the movie and so hard to, I mean, it, it's there for you to unpack, but I mean, it, it rewards multiple views just trying to catch all of it, just the way he's got it built in. Yeah, I like Cronenberg stuff. Like the newer one kind of repraises a lot of that stuff you got from Videodrome, the one of Future Crimes, I think is what it is. I have yet to see that, but I want to, yeah. Yeah, you'd probably, you like it and, uh, and like the way they take on it. I know I know a lot of people didn't like it. They're like, oh, it's just over the top gory. I was like, well, there's a lot more than just that. It's it's it, it follows the same path he always lays out is people people going through the evolutionary cycle of what the next thing is. That's kind of what the baseline of a lot of his movies are. People are people are evolving in some kind of manner. We just don't know what the end result's gonna be. That's that was what video drone was. It was an evolution of people. Yeah, it, and it's basically showing, you know, like society breaking down in like a weird way. But like, I mean, you know, it, but it, it's not necessarily, I mean, it's weird too because there's a whole subplot in the movie that I didn't even bring up. Like Bob Oblivion is actually, he's trying to counter the Videodrome message after he saw it because it's what killed him and his daughter's trying to be the one that rises up against it. So she's actually using television as more of like a... Uh, and she gets like all these people in off the street, like the homeless and all that, and uses it to like to pacify them and to, uh, you know, to work against their aggression, almost to make them into just kind of like happy zombies or something. And there's <laughs> something that Cronenberg's saying about that too, you know, I mean, as far as like what TV is doing. Um, it's, 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 there's, like I said, there's a lot to it. Um, but I like whenever I was watching this, what I was going to bring up is like there's a lot of these films in this subgenre that like you know that get brought up. I mean, of course, The Ring is one of them. You know, films that kill people, the people that view them. 
but there was a scene from we we discussed masters of horror in like a, in some of the previous episodes there's a john carpenter episode on that called uh, cigarette burns which is a very similar t- type of story where it's a young norman Reedus way before the walking dead where that he goes around he's like a a a video projectionist and he uh, he owns like his own little theater that's kind of that he owes like his father-in-law is kind of what it it's hinting at owes his father-in-law like a lot of money and like um for the theater and like he's trying to pursue like these films or get these like hard to find films for these uh, rich people who have more money than sense and one of them that he meets wants him to find this one particular film uh that basically every time that it's been shown to the public has caused like mass hallucinations and mass deaths. And, you know, and it's like Norman Reedus throughout the course of trying to find the movie ends up becoming like, you know, it, the movie has an effect on him before he even finds it. It's almost got like a Lovecraft vibe to it because he actually starts seeing cigarette burns, which is, you know, like projectionist. That's a term for them. Like anytime they saw up in the corner of a reel, it was like a signal that they needed to change it before it ran out for the next scene to play in. Um, he starts seeing those in real life and, and every time that he sees one, it jumps ahead in time and he's done something terrible to everybody around him. And it's just like, he, it starts spiraling out of control. And, um, and, and it, and it's based upon a curse and the, the whole, and in that one, like it's the guy, the reason the film's cursed is because there was actual film of a real angel from heaven that's being tortured and killed. And because there was this desecration of like a heavenly creature, uh, captured on film anybody who sees it is is doomed to die basically for, for participating in it you know hmm. uh which is an interesting concept yeah i'm curious um, how many how many films were spawned from videodrome because there's a lot that take kind of take core tenets of that movie out i mean i i, I think well, that, another one's kind of like in a in the mouth of madness at the end of it in you, the mouth of madness is a perfect example yeah yeah which that one takes a lot from the King in Yellow, which is I brought up with Chambers or whatever. Um, you know, Robert Chambers, I believe was his name, came up with the the old story back in the days of H.P. Lovecraft called The King in Yellow. And anybody who read that that play, I believe it was, or saw the play, ended up seeing the actual King in Yellow, which is another worldly being, kind of like Cthulhu, you know, the Cthulhu mythos. And he ended up and he ended up taking their lives from them. So I think they all kind of spin off from that that original story a little bit. Um, you have Archive 81, which was recently on Netflix. It's a similar thing where a guy who <sighs> restores video I tried to watch that, dude. That was so it's, hard. It's, it's, it's very slow. It's very slow. The um, yeah, worst like- part about it is, is it didn't have a full payoff because it set up a second season that like a time manipulation thing, yeah. and it and it's over with now. They're not going to renew it. So. Yeah, I got to like episode three, and I was just like, dude, like, I, it's hard to watch. But in that one, he there's a, a Cthulhu-like uh, uh, ceremony that was re- that was recorded on film, and he is trying, and he doesn't realize this, but he's trying to recover what happened to this lady who's doing like you know her own document documentary about uh, in this apartment building where this was originally done uh, and caused the whole place to burn down. In the process, like his reality starts blending with hers, so it's it's like it's bringing the viewer into the into the actual film, which is an, you know, interesting concept or whatever that, you know, some of these movies are brought up. You guys watch some weird shit. <laughs> what? Um, but somebody who saw a different movie was our pal Donnie G 
who told me that he saw the actual ring movie once and it wasn't the fake one that everybody else has seen, but an actual haunted tape that contained an actual ghost. Wow. And he said that he found it one day when cleaning out some inventory in the back room. Uh, but to me, it sounds like he found something else entirely. So, uh, we'll let you be the judge on that. Let's roll the tape. Let's see. (laughs) And now it's time for another episode of I think I downloaded the wrong movie. Hello again, everyone. This is Donnie G, and today I'm going to be reviewing Romy Rain Mystery Tape, which is, of course, a parody of The Ring. Brief synopsis is Xander, who is trying to get his unnamed girlfriend to watch a mystery VHS that has a sketchy backstory. After she reluctantly agrees, the two begin to watch the movie, and after the scantily dressed Samara Morgan character, played by porn A-lister Romy Rain, appears on the TV screen, Xander's girlfriend automatically thinks that he's just trying to get laid. And, of course, she's not into it, gets upset, and storms off. And, of course, this is when Samara crawls out of the TV, and then the action begins. Uh, Now, if you listened to my review of The Grudge last time, let me tell you, this is everything that The Grudge did not have. The dialogue between Xander and his girlfriend was well done. They both sell their roles so that you can tell automatically that Xander is a stereotypical douchebag and his girlfriend is a shy, innocent type. Even though this is still a single camera scene, there are still multiple angles and good close-ups and wide shots. And of course, with a pro-lister like Romy Rain, there is plenty of enthusiasm. Without going into too much detail, she obviously knows how to work a dick. As far as the negatives, uh, there really only would have been one thing that I would have changed. Um, I was kind of disappointed that the girlfriend wasn't involved in any way. Um, she wasn't necessarily taking up any space, but still she was, she was kind of hot and I kind of wanted to see her. Um, my official eggplant rating on this is going to be about four and a half out of five. There's not a whole lot that I would have improved on this except for the girlfriend not getting involved. Uh, and the runtime, it's not too bad at all. It's only about 28 minutes. So just long enough for, you know, all right. Well, there <laughs> you have it. Remember, follow us on Instagram. Uh, follow me at Big Bald M-F-E-R. And then also you can follow the show at Death Holler Podcast. And until next time, friends, go f*** yourself. <laughs> I absolutely cannot believe he's still alive after watching that. I, I'm not either, but uh, I, I'm not surprised that he enjoyed it, though, if he if, if she worked the dick as well as he said. So there you go. <laughs> we I just want to know, when are we going to watch these movies together? <laughs> <laughs> the hell? I, I, I'm going to go with Reverend's not watching them with his wife. So You don't know that. These are, these are uh, tasks that we give to Donnie G., uh, is he watching with his wife? It's a tough job, and somebody has to do it. I don't know. We have yet to 
It doesn't seem like it, but then again, we I don't should know. watch one together. I'm not gonna watch one of those. Stop being a prude. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the movie that we're discussing today is uh, starting out with the, the Japanese uh, original, Ringu, uh, which was made in 1998. I was actually surprised by how old this one was, Yeah, uh, to be honest. Uh, directed by Hideo Nakata, uh, written by Hiroshi Takahashi, who did a screenplay and then based upon the novel by Koji Suzuki. Um, music by Kenji K- Kawai. Uh, budget was $1.2 million uh, in U.S., and the box office was $19.4 million in U.S., which doesn't sound like a lot, but, I mean, it wasn't released really outside the country, so that's actually pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, you know what? If you look at – if if you remove the inflation factor and look at the time, that was a lot of money back then. Well, it, it obviously – I mean, we'll get into it, but it spawned like – I want to say like five or six different movies and a, and a video game and all kinds of other stuff. So they, they, uh, it, it obviously a did well. Video game? To, I did yeah, not we'll know they made it. a video game of that. Oh, yeah, it's that. not, it's, it's not good. But oh. we'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, principal players is the Nako uh, Matsushima who plays Rico uh, Asakawa. Who's the single mother investigative journalist and, Possible the hero slash villain of the story, which based upon what she does to survive, you take it either way. She's actually gender swapped from the novel, though. Surprisingly, it was uh, Kazuyuki Azakawa who was uh, was the one in the who was a male in the book that was that same character. But the producers felt that a female lead would result in better box office numbers. So good on them for figuring out a you know a, a hot lady at the helm. Yeah, and she's pretty. More money. Like we, she is. We'll talk about the American one, but the Japanese one, I was like, wow. Yeah, but Japanese yeah, girls she... just look hot in general. Okay, you'll do good to fucking watch your mouth. You look Second, Japanese. Like, I do so... not look Japanese. Yeah, you do. Second, <laughs> I don't know. I, I. How come you have Japanese tattooings on you? Just asking. <laughs> Anyways. Undercover. <laughs> She's Japanese pretending to be Mexican. Anyways, uh, the I've seen some okay. Japanese women are pretty, but this one was just she. She's really pretty, real yeah, pretty. Was. Like, but I'm going to say something in defense of that. She was actually a TV journalist in the in this movie, so that mm-hmm. makes sense. She would have to be attractive for that. That's role, true. You know, yeah. Um, that's one of my biggest beefs when we get to the American one, but we'll save it for that. Um, she was actually in. The, in Ring 2, so she was in a sequel. Uh, she was, this is hilarious. Uh, we've not discussed this yet, and we probably won't this season, but she was in the Japanese remake, 2010 remake of Ghost. Yes, that Patrick Swayze film oh, from shit. the 80s. They made a Japanese version, and this what actress was in it. She played Demi Moore, hell? basically, in it. <laughs> oh, my God. This woman is 48 years old, and she does not fucking age. See, I don't know if making an American movie translate in, translates into another culture. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe if they add their own spin to it. I don't well, because everybody takes this. They did it. Well, everybody takes this position that Americans are very conservative just because we don't so, show sex on TV. And we're probably one of the most open ones out of every culture. Just because we don't show over-the-top nudity on TV is not a representation of the American culture. But, like, the way our movies are, they're way more fast and loose than everybody else's. 
also though our movies are more violent than other cultures. But, yeah, you know, America. <laughs> Fuck yeah, America. We'll get into that too a little bit later. Um, she was in the Grave of the Fireflies, uh, which is the TV live action movie based upon the same novel as the the anime, but not the not based on the anime. So they were both based upon the same source material, but this was taken from a different angle. So that kind of interesting <laughs> twist. I like how the cover of Ghost looks like a. Just a Japanese knockoff of the American one. It's identical. Hold on. It, it, yeah, it's, it's that's the reason I figured out what it was. It's like, wait, that looks like they're re- and then I read about it and I was like, no, that's legit what they did. They remade Ghost. Do they have hot sex in that one too? <laughs> Maybe, but their private parts will be covered. They, I, th- I think they show like, the clay scene and like one of the the things I saw is like the you know researching. So there's that, you know. Um. There's a uh, Hiroki Sonata who plays Ryuji Takayama, who's the scientist, a psychic, which we'll get into, and he's the ex-husband to Rico and uh, or Rako and the father to Yo- Yoichi, so the, the little boy in the movie. Yeah, um, he's a badass actor. I, this guy, I, I freaking love this guy. He's got the samurai look down. Not like, that, I but mean, just he, every movie I've seen him in, every Japanese movie I've seen him in, he does an awesome job of selling the character. Listen to the movies this guy's in. This will tell you. I mean, this guy's been acting since uh, 1965. He was born in 60, so he's been at it a long time. I mean, he, you know. I, I think The Ring in, helped spawn his career international. I think it, it got it him. Did. Yeah, I think it got him out of the box of being a, a Japanese movie star only. He was in Avengers Endgame. He was in the Westworld TV series. He's in the new Brad Pitt movie, Bullet Train, that came out in 2022. He was in Mortal Kombat from 2021. He played Scorpion in that, which I actually enjoyed that character in that yeah. movie. I thought yeah. that was pretty good. Uh, he was in The Last Ship, which was a TV series here in America. He was in The Wolverine. He was in The Lost TV series. He was in John Wick 4, or it's going to be in John Wick 4. I think that's one still in production. And the Shogun TV miniseries that's in production. Uh, he was in Sunshine, uh, which I think is was made by uh, David Bowie's son, I believe. It was kind of a horror film with uh, Cillian Murphy, I believe. Uh, the Twilight Samurai, Ring 2, Spiral, which is a uh, kind of a sequel to Ring we'll get into later. Yeah, I think Spiral, uh, what, what is Spiral? is a knockoff of Uzumaki, I think. It's a rendition uh, of... Of Uzumaki, I think. I'll I'll, exp- I'll explain what Spiral is. It's 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 a weird it's a weird movie, but he was he was in it, but very just minimal uh, parts in that one. Uh, he was in the Army of the Dead movie that we I talked was about. Was that say, how are you going to pass that one up? <laughs> yeah, um, and then his first film, uh, like I said, in '65 when he was when he was five years old, was Game of Chance. I this guy, but he looks like a straight up samurai. Like I mean, you watch this film and you can imagine him being like descended from a samurai. Like he looks like that. Type oh yeah. Of when we were watching it the other night, I, as soon as I saw him, I was like, dude, that's that guy. He looks hell young. <laughs> he looks so young in the ring. I was like, dude. I did not recognize. And him the at funny all. thing was, he was forty, I think, in that movie. No way. He yeah, they don't fucking age. Yeah. Yeah, dude, he looks young. I could. He could have passed for, like, <laughs> late 20s. That's how I know I'm not Japanese, because I am aging. They you don't. Look, you look pretty good. <laughs> so he was So he was born in 60, so that was in May of 98. He was 38 years old. He did not oh, look that old. No, he doesn't. No. <laughs> uh, 
we have uh, Rikia Otaka, who plays Yoichi Asakawa, who is the son of Reiko and Ryuji and a potentially strong psychic himself, which we'll get into. Uh, the neglected and, uh, the child. Only... He's always fucking by himself. Well, it's nice to know in other countries they do a shitty job of parroting, too. Holy shit. The mom's <laughs> always calling him, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. The dad's like, is he cool? Like, by himself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's used to it. Well, the he's fuck? the well, he's the dad. He's not doing shit about it. I that's that's the other half <laughs> well, of it. That's the, fucking hilarious. The, the best the best scene in both of them is literally the dad seeing him and just giving him a look like, okay, you're my you're my progeny, and then just walking away from yeah. him. Well, the worst too is like the part in the movie where he tells his son to take the videotape with him when his mom leaves the area. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Ultimately, they didn't know it at the time, but it ultimately was to save his life. So, well, that was a bad call. <laughs> it was a very bad call. It's like, okay, I'm going to hand you a butcher knife. Don't hurt yourself with this. Yeah, that sounds like something um, a dad would do. Hey, like survival a, of the fittest. It's okay? more like a firecracker. I'm going to give you this M80. Don't light it. Yeah, and don't keep it in your hands. Okay. <laughs> Um, the only other movie that he's got credited that major to him is Ring Two, which he he featured prominently in that, so that that makes sense. Um, we have uh, Miki Nakatani who plays Mai Takano, who is Ryuji's student and his girlfriend. It's kind of a weird yeah of that. Um, <laughs> uh, she was in Ring Two. She was in Spiral, and uh, she's done a ton of TV. Um, so we have Atomi Sato, who plays Masami, who's the first victim of the curse in the movie. She's the niece to Reiko and the cousin to Yoichi. And uh, she's also uh, featured a little bit in Ring 2, and uh, she's done a ton of TV. Um, the funny thing is we've got Yoichi as a character, but we actually have a character in the, uh, the movie, uh, Takashi Yamamura, who is actually played by Yoichi Numada. That's the guy's real name is Yoichi. Oh, my God. And he's the fisherman dude, the old dude that, oh, that's yeah. in the movie, you know. And he looks, take like you. Old, he looks like a straight up samurai too. I was surprised when I looked at his filmography and didn't see that he was in any samurai films. I'm yeah. like, are you kidding me? Like, I mean, um, but, uh, he was the fisherman who knew of uh, Shizuko's psychic powers and turned her over to the scientist. Uh, he was also in the ring too. He was born in 1929 and his first film was in 49. So Ooh. he was a very, very old actor by the time this was made. Uh, Mazako, who plays uh, Shizuko Yamamura, who's a psychic and mother to Sadako. And uh, she was in the Ring 2 and Ring Zero birthday, which we'll get into later on. Oh, God. We have I Ring overdosed Zero. on the Ring, everybody, so you don't have to. Take my advice. Don't watch these movies all together. For the love of God, don't watch them all together. I'm how just praying how was don't. the Ring Zero? Because we got it. We just haven't watched it yet. Oh, God. Well... Unofficial. Before we get to it, I actually like it. It's it's got a good concept, but I was not in the frame of mind to watch it because I was so burned on burned out on these movies. By the time I got around, I, I saved it for last, and like it it. Would you say I, you're I ringed out? I was ringed out by I was ringed out by that time. That's so, how I was I mean, with the grudge. Was, I was fucking <laughs> over it. I had seen so many fucking grudge movies and shows. I was like, I'm fucking done. Yeah, I was totally there. Videodrome, I I watched in between. I believe it was uh, Ring 2 and Spiral, and that was a delight to watch something different between those movies. Um, We have Ri Inio, who plays Sadako Yamamura, who's an Onryo, powerful psychic, and the big bad of the the series. 
she was in Ring 2, and then she didn't act for about 20 years, but now she's a voice actor on an anime called uh, Magia Record. Oh, you know so. anime's got to pay good. Like, it, like <laughs> at minimum, is going to provide you a good, you know, decent income to get you through, you know? I hate to say this, and I mean this is really bad, but I feel like on the Japanese side of it, I, I like – you know, in in the American, like, dubs that they do, like, you know, with anime, it's still overacting because it's anime and that's what they do. But, like, I feel like they give enough, like, variance in their, like, delivery. I don't get that from a lot of anime. I mean, like, the good ones, yes. But, like, the some of the, like, just the regular run-of-the-mill animes, it's just like they could get anybody in there to do that voice acting. Yeah. So, uh, to, at least to me. I mean, I don't. There's no like there's it's not like the difference between hearing, you know, uh, John DiMaggio uh, play Bender, you know, like when you're getting that gruff voice versus I mean, they all kind of, you know, have a similar vibe to them. Like they don't I mean, I don't. Yeah, there's not a giant disparity in the voice sounds like not that, but the American like when when the anime gets dubbed over, it's not dubbed over by a giant studios. Majority of the animes are dubbed over at the small um, fan subs. So it's an independent studio that does the dubbing for the American market. Like th- there's a couple times where they go off the, sc- they go um, rogue from what the original script was and they put their own American twist on a lot of it too. Oh yeah. They, so you change the word, the intent of the scene. Correct. Quite a bit and it, and it has a giant change, but yeah, the, the American dubs are awesome. Cause they're done, but they're done by an independent studio that will break what the initial script is and make it more for the American market. Yeah, and uh, but it's just it's weird. It's like I, I, you know, good on you over there if you can get like a job doing that. But I mean, it's just I feel like it's crowd. It would be a crowded market just because a lot of them don't really have standout like voice diff disparates, you know, uh, enough to really say, okay, we need that guy to do this voice, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, and in Japan, there's a culture, and they all kind of stick to kind of a lot of similarities, so. It seems like you're going to get a lot of the same thing, but different, I don't know, plot, different story, different well, area. Like a prime one, if you, if you watch Final Fantasy Advent Children, when you watch that, Barrett has like the same voice as everybody else. Then you watch the American right. version, yeah. and there's giant oh, voice yeah. tone differences. <laughs> like huge, and they all match the character. Like Barrett has what you'd expect. Uh, like really a deep, deep voice. Yeah, a deep, gruffy, <laughs> grungy guy. And it's like you you don't get that in their market. It's mm-hmm. all like everybody for some reason. Sugar has, pop. Yeah, like a like a, a bunch of squeaky voices. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I wonder. And, and going back to what you're saying, I wonder if it's like tradition, like the Kabuki theater type thing, because you know they got that you know where you have to stick to the traditions of what they've already established. Like you can't really venture outside of it too much, or you kind of get like slapped you know back for doing it. Maybe the anime is kind of the same way. They don't like to. They've got a tradition, and they don't like to break it. For well, any to reason. them, it's just what's popular. It's just what sounds good. It's just what looks good. It's yeah, just but what... but they like our dubs. Like there's a prime anime an example of Samurai Champlo. Like if you watch a Japanese one. All the voices had the flat, same, consistent sound. Yeah. And then, then they, it, get, it got redubbed in American, and it works way better. All the voices are drastically different, and they match the character yeah. more. So the, it, it, the one nerdy, the one nerdy samurai, and it has that that what you're talking about. Yes, it's got that deadpan delivery, like that straight on, like you would expect from the old ones, and everybody, and the other ones are kind of like. And then the wild the guy has that wild gangster, type. Yeah. You know? And and that that did hell good when it got re released over there with the American dub. Yeah, and everybody liked it better because they said that 
the characters' voices matched better. When it comes to TV and entertainment, I hate to say it, but this is from an outsider looking in and from what I had witnessed when I was out there. And it doesn't seem like a lot of it has changed. But, yes, they do like the American culture and they do are interested in what we've done, etc. But, like, out there, everything looks like super like high-tech entertaining exciting it really is what they portray in movies like the brightness of the lights and colors and everything but like when you're watching the entertainment they provide it all seems like it's the same thing everything (laughs) seems like it's the same thing even though it's absolutely not and so it's just again like it's kind of seen even when i'm watching these movies and i'm watching the american or the japanese versus the american all the acting, if you noticed in The Ring and The Grudge, at least in the Japanese ones, same kind of characters, you know? Like, just the way they laugh and the, the, how they portray their character, it's it's kind of the same thing. I will say this, though. I got to give them credit. Like, you watch some of those batshit insane animes, they come up with some very creative stories. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I will, I will <laughs> never take that away. So, it's not that their storylines like, uh, are boring or anything. It's just how it's presented i guess more than anything like akira like oh my god that that Akira. movie is like i mean <laughs> it, it i mean it was a very very strange movie for the time and like i mean inspired a ton of stuff afterwards so. oh yeah yeah there's so many uh there's there's one there's two big animes i like that that don't have a lot of traction one's um Zerium. i don't know if you ever saw that one Zerium. No, I haven't. That one's a hell of good. It's like a post-apocalyptic future, and there's like this biologically engineered entity, and they're trying to take it down. And, and the dude has like a, the entity has like this giant hat with his face on the center that kind of comes out like an alien. That's a hell of a oh, good okay. one. That one's an awesome one. And there's another one that followed a manga that didn't that didn't get a a re-up on a season. It's called Claymore. Claymore's hell of good. I don't yeah, know if I've, I've heard of Claymore. I haven't seen it, but I've heard of that, that one. Yeah, I was watching um, it with the kids. The kids had never seen it. We were sitting down watching it. That's a hell of a good one, too. I mean, it's off topic, but, I mean, Zero Academia is one of my favorites from, like, recent years, and I just like the fact they went, like, old-school comic book superhero, and they, they're actually doing that better than fucking Marvel and DC. Oh, yeah. Even, like, well, there's giant, story there's giant character development in Hero Academia. That's what makes it good. <laughs> It's giant yeah. character development. Like they're spending tons of time training. They're they're t- and and they for such a large cast of characters, they're all getting their due at some yeah. point. I mean, that, that, that's yeah. what makes a lot of those animes good from Japan. The characters never come out of the gate awesome. They always go through these giant arcs where they're doing all they're doing the montage stuff where they're training, putting all the effort in, failing, realizing where they failed, putting more effort in, and getting better and better. Which makes for a compelling story arc. As opposed to a uh, girl who looks yeah. like Egon Spangler, who's automatically good at everything she does. Yeah. Or a Mary Sue that can wield a <laughs> lightsaber without zero experience. Yeah. What could yeah. you possibly a, be talking uh, about? Or a youngling who never really got much training who could take on Darth Vader. Oh, I'm sorry. We're not supposed to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, you can't, you can't do that. It, it doesn't sell to the average audience. Especially when you have other markets that make better better compelling story arcs. That's the thing I don't get. It's like you're supposed to be storytellers and you're missing the most critical part of telling a story, the character development. 
the character arc, like we talked about with Eddie, you've got if you've got the arc there, the the you can see point A to point B and how they got there. The Correct. audience will appreciate that character. They're, they're gonna they're gonna buy into the character more. 